uh, joining me right now is Lindsay Smith out of Ottawa, Ontario, of course, with Real Agriculture. Lindsay, how are you doing on this frosty Friday? Uh, well, um, you know, hiding from the weather. That's yeah. what we're doing. Lindsay and I, uh, we've got a special guest, and you've, uh, you know him very well uh, when the fertilizer market is discussed. It is Josh Linville of Stonex. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate it. I uh, I got to handle a little bit of that Canadian snowstorm. Not near to the extent you guys did, but Toronto had a little bit of their own. Caused me to uh, spend an extra night. Yeah, flying is so much fun. It isn't it? Oh, like especially this time of the year. Like you know that that's why. Like if anybody ever needs a like a restaurant recommendation in an airport, like one of the major. I, I, I've got a lot because I you feel like you've been if you travel lots, you've been stranded on pretty much all of them. So. The yep. uh, the sushi restaurant in Chicago at O'Hare is that that's by far the best. I love that one. What's it called? The Wicker. Oh, I forget the name of it. It is so good. Somebody in the audience will remember. Okay, uh, Josh, you did uh, a, a report on the fertilizer market related to the sanctions that Canada has put on Russian and Belarusian fertilizer. Those sanctions still remain. Uh, but it is a very controversial topic when it comes to Eastern Canadian farmers. You did the report for the Grain Farmers of Ontario. Uh, I, I guess, Josh, what, what were the results of the report that you filed with them? It's, it, this report is a little bit different than a lot of the other ones that have been done in the past. A lot of the other ones always take more of an academic approach and attempt to just kind of break down a bunch of numbers. Uh, this one was more attempting to tell the story of what happened to get us where we are today. Uh, a little bit of the story of where some of the things flow, you know, where does stuff come from, where does stuff go to, and then ultimately trying to look longer term and figure out what things can be, you know, short term and long term, what things could be implemented to help improve the fertilizer supplies throughout Canada, you know, especially uh, focusing on Eastern Canada. And, you know, one of the big things on the short term is obviously drop the duty. Um, when you look at it, Canada's the only nation out there that put us duty on Russian fertilizer. Everybody else of course, talked about it when the invasion happened. A lot of people, you know, grandstanded, sat in their soapbox, stood in front of crowds, ruckus applause, everybody was happy about it. And then they got off the podium and somebody pulled them aside and said, yeah, it's a great speech. Everybody loves you, but you can't do that to us because you'll destroy us. So, yeah, one of the big things is obviously the easy drop us, uh, the duty, make, you know, free markets flow again. But there's a lot of other stuff in there as far as, you know, look at helping to improve uh, the trucking industry, uh, help bring new truckers into that fold, help move more product per day. Uh, longer term, invest in increasing rail capacity and in increase nitrogen production, things like that. So there's a lot of things. Again, is actually very, very interesting when you start looking at the numbers. Very natural, uh, natural resource rich country that it frankly could stand up and be a very major player globally. Well, thanks for reminding us. Sometimes we need a little bit of a kick in the butt. Uh, Lindsay, go ahead. Yeah, so so this is one of the things I think, Josh, that, um, I mean, there are so many key points in this report, and I do, I, I do love the title, Farmers Need Fertilizer, playing off the, if anyone remembers, Farmers Feed Cities. Um, that's immediately what I was reminded of. Um, the The issue of the day, yes, this is in the context of that added tariff on nitrogen fertilizer coming into Eastern Canada. But there are, of course, other things that were already driving up the price of fertilizer, which is, you know, 
gone through in this report as well. One of the questions that comes out of this is, of course, why can't Eastern Ontario just get nitrogen somewhere else? And that's one of the things I want. Can can you sort of capture that for us of why um, we don't just here in Ontario or Quebec just go elsewhere for nitrogen fertilizer? Well, the very short answer is it can. Uh, and actually, when you look historically, it has. Uh, a lot of Eastern Canada's product actually comes from the U.S. Uh, and, of course, we import from all over the world. We bring it up through and ship it up north to you guys. And your Western production, a lot of that stuff ships down to the Pacific Northwest. But when we started this report, and it continues to hold true today, the fear is that, is that product always going to be available? And that's, you know, we've seen that fear. And we're still dealing with the situation globally where there's things that we're watching where, you know, if China were to start cutting exports, that would make things extremely tight. If Russia decided to play, you know, food wars and start cutting their fertilizer exports, that would be massive. If, uh, you know, European production of natural gas prices start to move high and all that production turns down, it's, we're still in a very, very tightly supplied global marketplace. And a lot of the steps that we're taking in this is to make it to where we, Canada no longer has to be dependent on the rest of the world for their product. It can take steps to actually be self-sufficient. Oh boy, yeah, but the but the question is, uh, so Josh, I'm I'm so great. To, uh, it's so great to hear you say that, but I'm not sure how Lindsay feels about this. But Lindsay, I I just don't have the confidence that we're really willing to even take those steps to say, hey, we are going to be self-sufficient in this area. It, well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I wonder, I mean, I think that that has been part of the conversation as far as alternative sources of nitrogen in this past year. And I don't think it's only been exclusive to this past year, but there does have to be a, a wide scale sort of push to in fact do that. And that is, of course, it sort of does somewhat fly in the face of some other government policy that is actually perhaps dissuading the use of, or at least the the focus on. Yes, thank you, Josh. I'm being very pol- politically correct here, aren't I? Josh gets so, our sense of humor. He yeah, likes jo- it. Josh does. Yeah, exactly. So is, is that push that's required as far as the investment, the political motivation, all that, does that exist in Canada? I'm going to say not at this juncture. So I guess that's my question to Josh is in this report, do you lay out sort of what would be required to sort of get Canada somewhat less reliant on, on imports? Well, and that's the funny thing is when we put all this together, as we were working through it, uh, working with the grain farmers, um, one of the things we talked about is so many of these things, you know, the short-term strategies, long-term strategies could be a report in their own right. Yeah. Uh, it could be a whole standalone report. So, and this is more to look at it from a you know a 50,000 foot level. This isn't trying to dig into all the details. This is more like just trying to start the conversation. And a, a lot of this report was to try and put it in the hands of some of the government officials, try to get the government to see that, listen, yes, we understand you're willing to move towards carbon neutral. Um, you don't like the idea of new nitrogen production, things like that. And we're all about trying to stamp the environment. One thing I always say is that that's one thing that I really agree with on the left. I like the idea of cleaning up the world. I, I like the idea of making it cleaner than, you know, when I leave it than when I got it. But we also have to appreciate that if we take steps towards new technology or we don't take steps to build any new production, people are going to starve. We can't grow the crop that we need to keep up with a growing population in the world. 
So I understand that, yes, we need to take steps towards this new technology, but we also have to appreciate the fact that if we don't continue to raise our production around the world, and again, with Canada being a very stable government, natural resource-rich uh, region, then what, where are we going to be in a few years? I, I wonder if we're not going to hear more pressure from, you know, look, just look inside the USMCA agreement, uh, the country you're from, Josh, the United States, saying, hey, Canada, what the heck's up with this? Like, think, think about if, if you were actually tapping into some of those resources and made it a priority, how, how, how that would actually impact trade and exports out of Canada in, into the, the U.S. Josh, one of the things that has really bewildered all of us here, I think, at Real Agriculture for a long time is, you mentioned it, Canada is the only country that has put these kinds of tariffs on fertilizer coming out of Russia, even though Russia... No one's arguing Russia is a is a Putin's terrible. They're a, they're worse. Saying they're a bad actor is incredibly understating the situation. But the, there's lots of questions circulating now about whether or not a lot of these sanctions that have been placed on countries like Russia have actually been effective, and have they actually have they actually created or caused the outcome that everybody was searching for? Um, what? what at Stonex, what's your position on the, the sanctions themselves in this particular case and whether or not they have been effective or not? I, I think to a certain extent, again, this is something I was trying to explain to audiences. Actually, I did this yesterday when I uh, talked about the report. I said so many times we look at Canada as a standalone country, look at the U.S. as a standalone. We're together. And so even though Russian product is not flowing directly to Canada, uh, that's obviously been shut off with the duty that was put in place. Well, product is still flown to the U.S. And let's say half a million ton of whatever comes from Russia, it flows into the U.S. Well, those tons aren't going to go directly to Canada. It's against the law, it's, unless you want to pay the duty. But those tons will offset tons that were produced in the U.S. or produced in the Middle East or produced anywhere else around the world, and those tons will flow up into Canada. So as a region, as North America, our S&D hasn't changed nearly as much as people think. But the problem is, Again, this goes back to logistics, a big thing we talk about in this report, something that really needs to be looked at and considered and built upon. You guys are a little ways away when it comes to where the origin point is. So it gets harder to get that product into place when you need it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, any more questions for Josh? Oh, I have so many, but we only have so much time for today. Pick so, one. Pick know, one. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I do want to touch on the logistics side of this as well in that um, rail and, and trucking. So this is one of the other things in the report, of course, is also talking about our other logistical systems that have to keep up. So so what in there was identified as, as some of the holdup to, as you mentioned, we're far away from a lot of these sources. Even within Canada, we're far away from our own sources if you look at Ontario to the west. So what role does the, the rail and the, and the trucking traffic really play in solving part of this issue? Well, and when we look at the rail situation, again, that's one of those that it could be an absolute report by itself. You could dive into so many different details there. But trying to look at how do you increase capacity uh, going west to east. Um, how can you increase the capacity to lower the freight rates to make it to where more tons stay within the country or we can move product quicker when we need to? Um, the bigger thing for me is honestly the trucking side of it. Uh, the thing that's really surprised me in the last 24 months with every trip I take to Canada is how diverse the people are and how hardworking the immigrants that I, I've talked to, you know, taxis and Ubers and things like that. These people are willing to work their butts off to get their legs under them. 
Well, if uh, trucking would be a perfect situation for that, but how do you come up with the money to get into that industry? There's where the government could step in. All of a sudden, to new truckers, new uh, you know, new hopper trucks, new van trucks, whatever it might be, low interest loans in order to go out and get the license, low interest loans to go take safety training so that they're prepared to be on the road, uh, low interest loans to buy their own truck, buy their own trailer. You've got the people willing to work. Uh, it's just very, very hard to come up with the money it takes to have your own truck and put it on the road. Yeah, interesting perspective. Hey, Josh. Thanks so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. All the best to you. And I, I know you are still trying to get home as you sit there in the Atlanta airport. All the best to you on this pre-Christmas holiday travel. Have fun. Hey, we'll do it. Next week, I'm back on the road again, Monday through Thursday, and then I get a little reprieve through Christmas.